There's momentum now around ending poverty. That's where our focus should be. And I don't think you'll go from zero to universal anyway. I think the first step to anything universal will be this guarantee. And, and for me, I come at this strictly unapologetically from the lens of I don't like poverty. <laughs> I don't think we should have poverty. I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. On today's episode, ensuring all Americans are guaranteed a living wage. Earlier this year, we covered how one CEO decided to increase the minimum wage for his employees. Dan Price of Gravity Payments gave each staff member $70,000 and it significantly improved their lives. The idea of a universal basic income has gained more prominence recently, most notably with former New York mayoral candidate Andrew Yang pushing for a basic income program that would give $2,000 a year to those living in extreme poverty. To clarify, guaranteed income is similar, but is targeted to those deemed most in need of supplemental cash. So today we wanted to dive into what that looks like on a broader level. In early 2019, former Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs started the country's first city-led guaranteed income initiative. It's called the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration. Here to tell us a bit more about his own experience with the program is one of the recipients, Tomas Vargas Jr. Tomas, thanks so much for being here. I wonder if you could just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. <laughs> a little about myself. Um, I'm actually working for MGI, Mayors for Guaranteed Income. So I'm finding passion in developing my community. And do you mind telling us how you got involved in, in the SEED program? <laughs> by the grace of God. It was a random pick by the computer system that they choose. And it randomly picked me because I was under the uh, threshold of poverty. So I just happened to meet the qualifications and I applied. How did you hear about it? Over the news as a joke, really. I thought it was funny. Uh, me and my wife were watching the news and then we see Mayor Tubbs and he was talking about giving people free money. And I was like, dude, come on now. Like, we like <laughs> ah, shenanigans, like for real. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he pulled my card. Eventually, I got an envelope in the mail and it said, hey, apply. I applied. Then I got a phone call. And after that phone call, my life changed. Is it a concept that you'd heard about before? Everybody says that, you know, Martin Luther King first said it. And it, it was a good idea. Everybody should have went with it. Because now the outcome is, is now look at how many different cities are jumping on this. It's worth it. And do you mind me asking how much you received and, and over what time period? Uh, I was receiving $500. It was originally for 18 months and then it became two years because of the pandemic. And did that kind of supplemental income help you in your day-to-day -day life? Tremendously. It changed my life. Before, I was really struggling. I was at a part-time job. I was sitting there trying to just make the checks work. Basically, I was sitting there doing side jobs. I was working on cars, helping out people when I could, getting just a little money just to gather up everything I needed, check by check. And then when the seed money came in, it uh, offered me a financial security. So I knew it was going to be there. So I was able to make better choices. I make different choices to get my income level to a different level. I, so far, I've went from part-time, now I'm full-time. I'm um, making way more than what I was. I'm doing a lot better. My health, my whole spiritual, my whole mental, my whole emotional, everything's changed. I'm a better father. I got, there's so many gains I got from the seed program because I, I was looking at life as, you know, giving up at one point and it changed that. That's amazing. Uh, and so, so even though the program's ended, you, you still feel like it's had a long 
long-term benefit. I, uh, people say don't count your blessings, but when you get your blessings, make sure that you make the most of them. So that's what I'm doing. I make the most of my blessings. I'll make sure that I make things possible for other people to get blessings the same way I was to say that it's, it's not impossible to think that you might get a chance someday because seed made it possible for me. So it's really changed, not just helped you financially, but it's really changed kind of your mindset and mentality as well. Yeah, my, my mentality is based on uh, everyday life of being a solid individual. So being solid individuals, meaning strongly built, built to strong materials, unbreakable. Uh, individual has characteristics of a particular person. And then a movement is object always in motion. So that's why I live my life every day and see maybe develop that in a better way. Thomas, do you mind me asking what were some of the things you, you spent that supplemental income on? Actually, getting my bills at zero. A lot of people don't know that track record they have of like where your bills are, how many times you owed financially, whatever your credit score and stuff like that. I built that up. I built that up for I could have a better stable future for my kids. I want to sit there and get a better credit score because that does develop where if I could buy a house and stuff like that. So that's going to affect me. So I want to make sure I challenge it and make sure I met that challenge. And do you wish that this had been kind of a longer term or, or a permanent thing? Would, would that have helped? Nah, uh, I got my blessings and I, I appreciate the time that I did get. And I wish that it goes on for other people. I don't want to sit there and say I need more. I got what I got and I'm going to make the best of what I got. Sure. But in an ideal world, if the federal government or, or the state could do something like this longer term uh, or on, on, a, on a more permanent basis, do you think that would be helpful for, for people? I think it'll be really beneficial because you'll be able to collect more data on different pay levels and different streams. I think it's going to be beneficial in a big way. What do you think other cities can do to try and implement a similar type of program? Anything. Anything can be developed from anything. Ours was just helping to be on property. I recently worked for a nonprofit where I got to see different people challenge other people's needs and help them with their resources and help them with things that we were given for grants. So, I mean, developing other things in the community that can help people in need. People getting out of jail, for instance. People that are in jail, for instance. People that are in poverty people are homeless uh, being a mechanic knowing wood shop and stuff like those those skills bringing those back i would love to see that amazing well i think that was it thomas i really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting to us yeah <laughs> i appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity like i said it, i got a voice to be heard so i might as well say something so hopefully it's positive and i hope it says something for somebody and now we'll turn to some of the people behind the program Michael Tubbs is currently serving as Governor Gavin Newsom's Special Advisor for Economic Mobility and Opportunity. He also founded the group called Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, which leads me to my other guest, Mayor Sambal Siddiqui of Cambridge, Massachusetts. During her tenure, Mayor Siddiqui has worked to promote affordable housing and tenant rights. Mayor Tubbs, can I start with you and ask, you know, what exactly is a guaranteed income pilot for those people who might not know? And, and can you tell us a little bit about SEED? Yeah, so I think the best example of guaranteed income is actually now a federal policy. It's what President Biden and Vice President Harris are calling the child tax credit, which is for 88% of American families, a guaranteed check, $500 a month, every month for at least a year for families with children. And that's a guaranteed income as opposed to a universal basic income because a lot of people get it, but not necessarily everyone, right? And, and that's what the guaranteed income is. It comes from sort of Kingian tradition in terms of how do we eliminate poverty in our country. Stockton, we started the seed pilot we announced in 2017. We started distributing money in 2019. And the idea was to provide 125 families that looked like the entire city. So the criterion was broad on purpose. And we gave folks $500 a month for 24 months, so one year before the pandemic and the year of the pandemic. And we did that um, on debit cards. But the most important thing to mention is that it's no strings attached. So mm -hmm. the idea is to turn notions of deservingness on its head and to realize that we can trust 
people who don't have money, just like we trust people with money to make a good decision. They don't necessarily need us to tell them exactly how to spend every single cent in a way that makes sense for themselves and their families. And the results that came out of it kind of back that theory up, right? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, a couple of the takeaways? Yeah. So the three big takeaways, number one, that a guaranteed income did not cause people to stop working. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Guaranteed income did not make people stop working. In fact, it allowed people to work even more. That's what they chose to do. And what do I mean is that after in just the first year, we saw those who received the guaranteed income were two times more likely to move from part-time to full-time work than those who did not receive a guaranteed income. And they were two times less likely to be unemployed, meaning that lack of cash makes it difficult to find reliable transportation, reliable child care, um, get your uniform clean, et cetera, to even go to work or even go to a job. We also saw health impacts. Those who received the guaranteed income had similar levels of the decrease in stress and depression as we've seen in clinical trials of Prozac, meaning that medicine is still important, but it also means that so much of the mental ailments we see in our community are probably triggered and caused by economic anxiety and economic scarcity. Mayor Siddiqui, why did you decide to get involved in Guaranteed Income Pilot in the first place? So I'd seen how cash helped people in our COVID relief efforts locally. We reactivated the Mayor's Disaster Relief Fund as COVID hit. You know, we could see that our families were in crisis. Uh, They were in crisis before the pandemic, some of our families with the generations of inequity and poverty. And I learned about the movement really through Mayor Tubbs' initiative, learned about MGI, ended up joining it in the fall. And so it was very much like, wow, in Cambridge, we've been doing some form of this. And I'd love to, you know, really help on making uh, an impact on possibly the policy for the future. Is there kind of a wealth gap problem in in Cambridge? You know, I, I think a lot of us looking from the outside think of Cambridge as, you know, the home of Harvard and, and MIT and think of it as quite an affluent place. You know, is that kind of a, uh, a misconception? So I grew up in Cambridge. I grew up in affordable housing in Cambridge and public housing. And so I, I think experienced firsthand this economic divide that continues to actually grow in Cambridge. So we have this hyper concentration of wealth and poverty. Uh, so the highest earners are making uh, you know over 300K a year and the lowest earners we have are making 13,000 annually. So it is unique that we have Harvard, MIT, and also we have these big gaps. That's something that we often talk about, that it's kind of a tale of two cities in in Cambridge because of these discrepancies. Wow. So uh, the lottery is taking place this summer? It is. And so our application goes live this Friday. Wow. So we uh, we're really we've been working for many, many months towards the opening of the lottery and then there'll be a selection process and our partners over at Penn Center for Guaranteed Income have, you know, they're they're helping us with all their research. And then it'll run for is it a year and a half? It's 18 months. So mayors for a guaranteed income is basically this coalition, right, of, of mayors all across the country that are that are doing these pilots. Can you kind of give us an update? Um, I think last time we we talked, there, there were about 44 mayors. Is there any news on that front? Yes, we're at 55 mayors like Mayor Siddiqui from across this country, from Cambridge, Massachusetts, to Los Angeles, California, 
to St. Paul, Minnesota, Madison, Wisconsin. It's a very diverse sort of cross-section of this country. And what it's so inspiring for me as a former mayor, and that's why I want to focus on mayors, is I know when mayors get passionate, when mayors get excited, and when mayors own an idea, it is inevitable because they are the best spokespeople, salespeople, and are just tenacious about how we deliver for constituents. So it's been amazing to see sort of how each and every mayor from Mayor Siddiqui on on have made it their own. And I've thought about their communities, I've thought about their own experiences and have added sort of different layers and context to the conversation. And since we last talked, Governor Newsom put in $35 million in the budget for a guaranteed income pilot support for the state. Just yesterday, a bill passed in our state Senate called a this bill, which will provide a guaranteed income to about 1,000 or 2,000 Black mothers in the state of California if, if signed into law. L.A. County is now involved in guaranteed income and wants to do a thousand families, a thousand dollars a month for three years with some of their ARP dollars. So it's interesting because all these things in California are now using government funding, which I think is getting us closer to the policy in addition to the um, child tax credit mentioned earlier. So let me open it to, to, to both of you. You know, is this idea of tailoring guaranteed income pilots to specific cities important? You know, what's the importance of doing that? And should we be explicitly targeting, say, black and brown folks who who might have historically been left out of economic prosperity? I think so. You know, I think that's what the difference between the UBI movement and guaranteed income is, right? Universal based income is for everyone, but I think really targeting to those who really need it for whatever reason is really important. And I think we in Cambridge really felt like our single caretaker families were the ones who really are on the margin so often and that $500 a month could be the most impactful to their lives. We've you know really looked at, at the data too. We get a lot of calls from single caretaker families. And I, I think it really is very situational to each community. You know, I've been on conversations with different mayors, whether it's New Orleans, you know, Oakland, you know, Gainesville. And it is really awesome to see this body of evidence that will be developed as a result of the various pilots throughout the country that are focusing on different groups. We'll have that old data, but we really have that narrative. I think what, what's important is that we're proving in dozens of cities across this country that no matter who you care about, <laughs> guaranteed income is helpful. So for some people, the passion is people with children. For some people, it's incarcerated folks. For some people, it's housing and secure folks. But my working hypothesis is no matter who, how you slice and dice it, the data will come back that economic security is good for them. I think a lot of the mayors are thinking about their own communities and their own experiences in terms of, because we can't get to everyone, what has the biggest bang in the buck and what has the highest value that's also in line with the mayor's other priorities and initiatives. In terms of targeting Black and, and Brown folks, I think that the conversation about reparations is a conversation. I think it's a separate conversation from guaranteed income, but it's definitely a conversation that, that's in the same vein in terms of equity, racial justice, opportunity, um, wealth building, et cetera. And what was the draw of doing this together with with MGI? You know, I, there are a kind of a couple of pilots in the country that are going it alone. Why was it a draw for you to be part of the alliance? We as cities are going to be building kind of the backbone of hopefully what will become national federal policy around a guaranteed income. It is about building more body of evidence that will be centralized through one researcher, the Center for Guaranteed Income outside of Penn, to really have 
these demonstrations show cash is really important and what can be done. And so having that at the same time at so many of these cities, I think it's really, it's just powerful. What's the advantage of a guaranteed income over, you know, just essentially strengthening the safety net? Well, I think there's just so many limitations in our safety net and the different requirements. You know, they don't necessarily invest in individuals to really propel them forward in their work or life trajectories. We make it really onerous to sign up for benefits. And I mean, this is not a replacement, you know, it's additive, but I think our current system, you know, is not really doing everything it can. And in particular, as I've said, it's just really onerous on our families. And so I think this concept of a guaranteed income, no strings attached, you're putting faith in your families. We know they have the agency to do what they want with cash. Yeah. And just to build on that, I think that as the mayor said, it's, we view this as strengthening the safety net because the safety net has holes. One of the big holes is that there's a whole group of people, and I know this group of people well because they were the majority of my folks in Stockton, who are working hard but still struggling. But they make a little bit too much for any of the existing programs, but they make too little to be comfortable in middle class, and they're stuck in this purgatory, this economic purgatory. And I think the guaranteed income helps address them as well because we know that it's not just people in extreme poverty. There's one in two Americans are one paycheck away. I think that the second thing is also, as the mayor said, a guaranteed income in our mind is more about an assets-based approach to our constituents and a deficit-based approach, meaning that instead of saying, oh, we don't trust these people, so this money has to go to milk. So I guess that the argument is that if someone needs help with housing or help with milk, they probably have other needs as well. That, that there's not just one thing that, that people need. And a guaranteed income gives people the flexibility to address all those needs because there's some things that no government program could come up with. Right. Do you have any Republicans on board in the coalition? I am working. So if you know any, let them know Trump isn't president <laughs> no more. You hear the Senate talk about bipartisanship. I've been working, working, working on it. But I think um, part of it, which is interesting to me, because part of it is like Republican voters like checks too. Like look at all the polling data, even the majority of Republicans are supportive of stimulus checks. Majority of Republicans are supportive of tax credit. Um, so just got to get the Republican leadership. But that's why mayors are important, because if it's going to happen in a bipartisan way, it's going to happen with merits. And I would say when we first launched last year, we received a unanimous vote from the U.S. Conference of Mayors to pass a resolution in support of the guaranteed income. And that included Republican members. So there is some Republican support. Maybe I'm just a little bit too crazy. So I don't want to be too, too, too closely affiliated with me. But but we're working to get them on board because we need their constituents in despite in poverty as well. Well, because this isn't a new thing, right? This this has actually been talked about since the 1700s, since the start of the country. It might surprise people that Richard Nixon was was on board um, in some form. Can you talk a little bit about you know the history and and I guess one of the biggest proponents was MLK. Yeah, so Thomas Paine, and there's about, I'm, I'm gonna leave a bunch of people out, but sure, Thomas yeah. Paine in the late 1700s and the Agrarian Revolution was talking about, hey, in this society we're generating so much value, particularly because they had like sources of free labor, aka slavery, that we need to have some sort of, like, there's no excuse for anybody to be poor. And that was in the late 1700s. Dr. King and Where Do We Go From Here, his last book talks about sort of a guaranteed income. And that book was instructive because when he wrote the book, there was over 200 protests in this country around racial violence, around racial inequality. And that was sort of the inspiration behind Marriage for Guaranteed Income, which was founded 
responded two weeks after the murder of George Floyd as a response to what we were seeing in our streets in terms of people protesting, not just the violence of racism, but the violence of poverty, um, et cetera. But, but since then, like folks like Sarah Palin in Alaska, like her, she was so popular as governor of Alaska because she increased the Alaskan Permanent Fund, which is this yearly check people get just for living in Alaska from the oil revenue. And she increased it. And that's literally how she became a vice presidential nominee because her approval was through the roof because who knows? People like receiving money and then be able to do what they want in it. And then in the, I mean, not just Dr. King, the Black Panther Party, the National Welfare Organization, but even folks like, I mean, Milton Freeman approaches it from a different sort of angle, but even folks like that are at least on board with trusting people with cash. I think the biggest difference we see is whether we want to get rid of everything and give everyone the same, or do we want to build upon our existing social safety net? Or do we want to focus on ending poverty versus focus on sort of ending the welfare state? Uh, on that poverty note, do you think there's a parallel between these pilots and the New Deal? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, and I, I, I probably got the history wrong, but what's interesting is that a lot of the, some of the New Deal policies that FDR created were first piloted at a local level. Like the city of Milwaukee had this amazing mayor who was piloting things like unemployment insurance and other socialist things that ended up being the foundations of the New Deal. And particularly in COVID, we saw that our 2020 pandemic response was based off kind of 1930s radicalism. Like literally the whole COVID-19 response was unemployment insurance. Like we're going to increase unemployment insurance. And that's dope. But it's 2020, so I, I really do believe we have to update our models beyond the 1930s understanding mm. of how the economy works and what people need. So I do think this guaranteed income is our New Deal moment. It's our way, as we always do as a country, when there were times of crisis, we summon our better angels and move forward in a way that reflects an evolved understanding of what we can do as a country to provide for our folks. So what's next for these pilots? I mean, how do you make them into something more permanent? And can cities do that on their own or, or do they do they need um, federal government's help? It has to be a federal policy because as and the mayor knows more than me because it's the first year in eight I haven't had to look at a, a, a city budget. But we can't cities can't deficit spend. Like we literally have to we can only spend the money we have. We have to have a balanced budget, like constitutionally in our in our city charters and, and state governing documents. So Cities are laboratories of democracy. We can test, we can pilot, but we can't be the federal government. We can't do the federal government's job. As we've seen with Social Security, as we've seen with healthcare, the federal government has to take responsibility for things at scale. But mayors and cities will continue to push and provide the political courage and the anecdotes and the stories and the cover uh, for folks to do the right thing. Were the COVID stimulus checks a form of GI? Yes. Yeah. And just to add to a point around what's next, I think really these pilots, you know, the goal is to really amass this body of evidence, right, to advocate for GI on the federal level. And I think on the local level, as we've seen what's happening in LA and others, ideally the goal is to have government pay for these pilots, right? And right now in Cambridge and in most of these pilots, we're using a lot of private money. We have great partners, but in most places, that's not sustainable. And in most cities, that's not sustainable. 
And so we are fortunate in Cambridge, we have that perfect nexus that we have Harvard MIT. We have all these amazing partners and companies who are willing to step up. But I think if you look at Massachusetts as a whole, I, I think, you know, people have asked, you know, are other cities contemplating it? And I think the thing is, it's it's hard. It's political will, obviously, but it's also the resources aspect of it. Even if we have support from MGI, which is amazing, there's a lot of work to be done there. But for us in particular, we're hoping to see, you know, what happens as a result of the pilot. And then sure, there's the, obviously the federal policy. And then locally, hopefully we can get to a point where Mayor of LA, Eric, has been, you know, using government funds, using other resources to build it into the structure. But I think for most cities, it's just, they're not there yet. So just in his, as an example, Mayor Siddiqui, how is your pilot being funded? We have half a million from MGI, and then the rest is being really raised by different organizations. We have our Cambridge Community Foundation that's a key partner in this, and we've had MIT, Harvard, a number of you know local companies as well, uh, everything from banks to Biomed Realty, which is a company, to Biogen, to different uh, yeah. anonymous donors, philanthropists. So really, really grassroots uh, mm. in that respect. And the city of Cambridge is also participating, but a lot of the funds are going towards directly to administrative costs and not to the cash payments itself, because hmm. the city found that it wouldn't be permissible to do that, to fund actual the cash component. So we're funding the really administrative piece. So it's really a whole bunch of sources, <laughs> but it took a long time to pierce that together. We wanted to help as many families as possible. But again, it was this effort that took you know a number of resources. Mayor Tubbs, is it right that... um. Jack Dorsey actually donated quite a quite a chunk to MGI. Yeah, yeah, we received I think 18 million from Jack Dorsey and started small. And what we've done with that is sort of give mayors in the network who meet us a pilot requirements half a million dollars <laughs> to to match or start or get their pilots off the ground. And I just remember when I was doing my pilot, how like the first kind of big grant made it possible and made it me able to kind of lead. So you have to have someone that's going to be that first kind of investor. And we're so thankful for him and his organization's support. And I, I hope they're proud of the work they're seeding around guaranteed income and having mayors, again, like Mayor Sadiq, leading the way and showing that it's it's workable and that you can care about guaranteed income and care about crime and care about homelessness and, and care about cleaning streets and trimming trees and all the other glorious things that mayors have to worry about on the day to day. Just lastly, you know, I, I think this goes back to the idea of reaching out to Republicans. But how do you convince people that aren't getting the money that, you know, this is still a very a, a fair way of doing things? You know, I, Mayor Tubbs, you didn't win re-election. Was that partly due to a backlash against the pilot? No, I think, I mean, there's been so many autopsies <laughs> about yeah. Why didn't win re-election? But I think it's centered on really three things. Number one, a four-year disinformation campaign in the midst of a news desert, in the midst of a population of the top 100 cities is the second least educated. Meaning not that my folks in Stockton aren't intelligent, but it does mean they may not, we may not have the media literacy, we may be more susceptible to disinformation. Number two, I think, particularly in 2016, being the first anything, it's kind of wild. So as the first Black mayor, but also the youngest, I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, the wrong way how unapologetic I was about ending poverty and that being the business of city government and local government. So uh, there's definitely some backlash from that. And I think it was the message, but also the message and, and who the messenger was and what the messenger represented. 
And thirdly, to your point, I think part of it is sort of realizing that a guaranteed income helps most people. Again, 88% of people with children are receiving a check. In politics, you don't need 100%. You don't need 70%. You literally need 50.1%. So all the folks who benefit even now from federal policy were talked to and educated and told that this is a guaranteed income. I think that that's, that's the way forward. And, and that's the path towards sort of building consensus. But then I would also say the argument is that we all benefit if we don't get money because we're all paying for poverty. When you look at our crime, when you look at our homelessness, when you look at all the things people complain about on Facebook and next door, those are all linked to poverty, economic insecurity. So even if you're not receiving a check, your life is better and your taxes can go to other things versus just increasing the police state or versus just building more shelters and, like, and, and actually solving a lot of the root problems we have in our communities. Great. Well, I think that that's probably a good place to end. Uh, I, I want to thank you both again so much for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. I think the city structure of these guaranteed income pilots are really interesting because of the way they're targeted so specifically according to what those cities' residents need. And I think the results that came out of the SEED program are, are really glaringly obvious that people are spending that money that they receive on debt, on food, on, on gas, the things they really need. Only 1% went to alcohol and tobacco. But even so, you know, Mayor Tubbs makes this point that people should be given this distribution dignity, right? This idea that people should have a say in how they spend their money. Why should we tell people that this voucher is only for housing or for food? So if you want to create federal resources for this, and it is possible because we've seen the COVID checks, how do you kind of reach across the aisle in this kind of crazy era of ultra partisanship? Because as we've seen, this is not a new idea. You know, as Tubbs said himself, this is an idea as old as the country. That's it for our show today. Join us next time to learn more about the innovative leaders seeking to make a difference in our ever-changing world. Please give us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talad Vizram. Our show is produced and edited by Avery Miles. <laughs>